Hi, and welcome to the Lakeland EM Podcast. My name is Alex Spiewak, third year ER resident. Um, today we are going to be talking about one of the sexier topics of emergency medicine. We're going to be talking about trauma. We are not going to be talking about giving blood and sticking to one-to-one-to-one. We're going to be talking about managing the trauma bay, managing a trauma resuscitation. Today with me, I have Dr. Chris Milligan. He is one of our former residents, now attending, has come back to us from beautiful Sturgis, Michigan, is now working back at Home Lakeland Base. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you gave us a lecture today about managing the trauma bay. I thought it was really good. You had kind of a couple points that that you went through, starting with leadership and being a leader in the trauma bay. I think it's really important as an ER resident to learn to be a leader first and then um, to practice that. So for you, leadership, you mentioned discussing with your team before the trauma even gets there. How do you how do you like to manage that? Yeah, so there's a few aspects, you know, and, and this doesn't have to just be that trauma resuscitation. This, this can be that medical resuscitation too. So any anytime you've got some critical incident that's coming into the department, kind of taking that leadership role, taking it, assembling your team, think about who you want in the room, what players do you want in the room, what tasks are you going to give them, and, and clearly giving tasks to certain people before somebody, you know, before your patient arrives, before EMS comes in with them. Make sure you've got a, a nurse in that's, that's going to be doing your charting. Make sure you've got a tech maybe at the bedside to, to get your large bore IV in a, in a blood draw. Make sure you've got a nurse that can run and grab meds as, as you need them. Make sure that those tasks are, are assigned and making sure that way it, it starts everyone out on the same page. Yeah, I think it, it's key in a resuscitation that you know the ones that go well are the ones that you have a tech on one side ready to get the IV, you have a nurse who's charting, you have someone who's drawing up meds or has meds ready, and it's the ones that go poorly or like, well, where's my tech? Oh, that's, I'm, I'm not starting the IV, you're starting the IV. And that's when things go poorly from the start, and I think it sets the tone from the beginning when you tell people what they're gonna be doing. They're doing the tasks that are assigned to them, and I think it starts things smoothly. And also, you know, when you have a trauma that's coming in that, like you were saying, you have a nine-year-old that's coming in for this and that, blunt trauma, MV, rollover MVA, and you're talking out what you think that you're going to need and you're having it ready. You have your Broslo tape. Maybe you're calling your respiratory therapist. Maybe you're calling your trauma surgeon in advance because you're a little bit worried. I think when you're ready and thinking through things and getting prepared for it is how your resuscitation is going to go most smoothly. Like you're saying, that's both for medical resuscitations and trauma resuscitations. So you're talking about procedures too. What, what's your plan for procedures? How do you approach procedures in trauma? So the the one thing you want to make sure that you're doing it. This is part of the kind of this preparatory phase that's before the before the patient comes in. Kind of mentally run through any procedure that one you're not comfortable with, maybe something that you don't do very often, something that's that's more of a high anxiety situation that you're not going to do very often. You know, the, the two big examples that you typically hear about when, when people talk about doing this are the uh, cricothyrotomy or, or uh, you know, doing an open thoracotomy. Think about those mentally before the patient comes in. What am I going to need? What what items am I going to need for this? How am I going to handle that situation? If I have to crack them, what am I going to do? And, and kind of thinking them through that process gets that in the forefront of your mind and and will help when a situation comes up where you do have to do that it's going to take some of that cognitive thought out of it and also talking through that with with your team members say me now as an as an attending kind of being being one that's standing there in the room kind of overseeing everything i can have that kind of mental model of where i where i want things to go and and if 
if I don't feel the resin's kind of getting to that point, I can step in and, and do that. But it's good for the resin to kind of go through that process also because it's, it's, those are skills that we want to make sure that we're developing along the way. Uh, I think all of us do it somewhat intuitively, uh, whether, whether we do it uh, more formal with the team. And I think that's kind of the, where we need to, to go with some of this is doing sure, that yeah. more formally with the team, getting everyone on the same page. So that way, as you're saying, the ones that you resuscitation that go well are the ones that everyone is on the same page. Everyone is, is having a task to do. You've assigned the roles. You know what the steps are. You've announced the steps. You're yeah. saying, first, we're going to do this. Next step is this. If A, then we're doing this. If B, we're going here. And I think that's how things, like you're saying, run smoothly. Um, and that know, just helps take the stress off of everyone too. Right, you know, it's yeah. a stressful situation it anytime is. there's a major resuscitation, especially if you're talking pediatrics. You have that kind of that stream of consciousness that all right, if this happens, we're going to do this. If this happens, we're going to do this. It puts everyone kind of at ease. All right, this person's got a plan. Just as we talked about um, earlier in the lecture, as as a resident, as a junior resident, as a senior resident, think of who's that one person when shit hits the van. Who do you want in the room with you? And just think of the qualities that they have. And what a lot do of they times, do that makes yeah. it good. And yeah. a lot of times that's what we're looking at. It's somebody who is that take charge that isn't going to uh, start freaking out if something happens, that will assign tasks. It, people that control the room well and they're likable, people kind of flock towards that. And, and that's something that we should all kind of strive for. So those, those are some of the aspects there. Yeah, and I, I think as you... Uh, graduate from residency as a third year or fourth year, you're not just suddenly born knowing how to run the room and be a leader. So I think it's important things to practice. As an intern, it's hard because you feel like you don't have a place to say anything. You barely know what you're talking about. You know, as we brought up in lecture, when you have that level two trauma or that kind of low level trauma that you know isn't going to be a big deal, maybe that's the time to practice and kind of step up. And it's a little awkward at first, you know, like to announce like, you're going to be doing this, you're going to be doing this. I want this done first. And then, you know, it's hard to sort of get yourself in that mindset because you feel like you're kind of like acting like you're a big shot. But that's how you get ready in advance from being a junior to a senior resident to being an attending. I think it's good to practice it almost all the time, but especially, you know, in those, those critical situations. So we talked about some of the things that can hinder a resuscitation. You brought up a quote that I love is that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So, you know, what do you mean by that? How do you, how do you present that? So the slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That's out of military literature and coming out, coming from the special forces, your snipers and, and things like that, where it's this thought of the, the quicker you try to do a task, the more mistakes that you're going to make. So think about that chest tube or that central line. The, the quicker you try to do that, it, you're trying to, you're starting to fumble through it more. You're your trying to get that introducer shaking, into nervous, the, yeah, yeah. You're, you're trying to get that guide wire into the dilator. You're, you're trying to get that, uh, you know, you're trying to get that chest tube. It just won't slip just, into that hole that you made, that exactly. tiny little hole, you know, it's. So the, the whole slow is smooth, smooth is fast. It kind of a, a deliberate approach and you're going to make fewer mistakes and that and that procedure is actually going to go a little bit faster than what you would imagine you just kind of slow down take the time to think mm -hmm. about it it's still a critical situation you're still doing it fast but you're not jumping at the gun to, to just get this done like you're just like oh you just want it so bad but if you actually take the time to think about it you'll probably get through it a little bit faster 
So we talked about two other things that can hinder resuscitation being both psychological stress, cognitive stress. So psychological stress is more like that slow is smooth, smooth is fast, that's your thought process. Your cognitive and decision-making type stress, um, we talked about the, the stress curve, kind of this mm-hmm. approach of, you know, as the stress builds, you kind of improve your performance because you start thinking critically, you're moving in action, but you can kind of hit a peak of that where you actually start going down. Um, so how do you approach that kind of stress curve in managing a trauma resuscitation? So I guess the big thing to know there is that all of us have that sympathetic response, that fight or flight response when some stressful situation happens. And some of that is good. There's a reason that that is there. It, it makes you hyper-focused, uh, but it gets to a point where your performance starts deteriorating the more that you're letting that affect you. So it's kind of this bell-shaped curve. And there's been some military studies that look at that. Uh, there's a, a book called uh, On Combat, and essentially they, they looked at kind of a similar thing where they correlated it with heart rate, and they had different zones a yellow, a red, a gray, and a black being kind of this red zone with a heart rate less than 150, kind of this optimal area where you're, you're hyper-focused, you're able to run through some cognitive processes, but your ability to think clearly and your ability to perform tests aren't really hindered. Once we get over that, kind of get in this gray zone and black zone, and your ability to perform at peak starting to get hindered. Some things that we can do to kind of train ourselves to work in that gray zone, we talk about things like stress inoculation, which is where you put yourself in the stressful situations and learn how to control that environment, learn how to have an internal dialogue or, or some sort of process where you decrease that stress level inside yourself. So once you get closer to that gray zone, we can we take that bell-shaped curve. Now we're now we're creating a plateau Maybe where we have like a peak performance. Yeah. Right. So you know, I, I think when you're talking about something like that, it's easy to see a curve and say, okay, you know, but what can we do to address that, right? Like, I can't just, when my heart is beating out of my chest because it's a crazy trauma that's coming in, I can't just be like, okay, yeah, stop heart, like stop all the sympathetic surge. So we talked about a couple of things that you can do as far as stress inoculation. Um, a couple of things that we talked uh, brought up were simulation and oral boards. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're talking about managing your stress, managing your throat, thought process like you brought up um sin you know that i think that was a great example of being able to be in a stressful situation but sort of limiting consequences right Mm -hmm. so there are things that you can do to adjust that curve so that when you think about it and you're prepared for it that you're not quite at that gray zone that maybe you're functioning in that higher zone and I, i think that's kind of what you can do to improve your outcomes and be ready for it and then also the mental thought process that we were talking about. You know, you'd mentioned thinking through the case, thinking through what the next steps are, what procedures you're going to have to do, what are the procedures um, that you're going to be doing and what are the steps of that procedure. You're sort of offloading that during the moment if you thought about it already, so you're already ready to do it. You know, the doing a cryke or doing a thoracotomy, those aren't procedures that we do every day and maybe you only do once in your career. Mm-hmm. But if you thought about it beforehand, you know, and you have it sort of in your mind what the steps are going to be, it's going to be a little bit easier to get through it. Everyone's going to be stressed out. Absolutely. It's always going to be a stressful day when you're criking someone. Mm-hmm. But at least you thought about it so you know what the next steps are going to be. Yeah, and, and I think part of it, you know, when you're in that heat of the moment, 
when we're talking like stress inoculation, those are things, what can we do to better prepare ourselves for those situations? Uh, as far as getting used to working under a stressful environment, being able to make those cognitive thoughts happen uh, much easier as, as we go through it. And, and as you said, with simulation, that's a great way to do it. Put as much stress as you can on, on yourself as you're going through the sims because then you're able to, to function at that higher level. Taking now, it seriously. Yeah. yeah. And now when you're actually in the heat of the moment, you're starting to feel overwhelmed. One thing that you can do is what's called this tactical breathing. You'll hear it called autonomic breathing or triangle or square breathing. It goes by multiple different names. Essentially what it is, it's kind of a meditation technique where you're just taking a deep breath in. People describe it as a deep breath in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, letting it out for four seconds, and then an, another four-second hold. There's variations of it. Some have varying seconds. Some have like a six-second exhale versus a three-second hold or whatever the case is. It, it's focusing on something to decrease that kind of that fight-or-flight response. Right. And that's so where that autonomic breathing comes in. It, something it's, that you can literally do during your resuscitation to help yourself get through it when that heart starts pumping and you're getting nervous and your hands start shaking you can literally do that during your resuscitation to help sort of manage your own sort of response to this exactly all right so you talked about handling the room we already talked a little bit about task delegation Mm -hmm. um assigning tasks knowing who's doing what um so you talked about a couple other things um sharing your thought process um what what can you tell us about that? So I think the big thing is you want to have a kind of this stream of consciousness. We kind of alluded to it earlier is you want to think out loud, essentially. So, all right, once we get this endotracheal tube in, we're going to put an OG in, and then we'll, then we'll get this x-ray. Or, hey, as that patient comes in, we're going to quickly listen to breath sounds. You know, uh, Alex, you're going to put in a chest tube for me on that left side if we need it. Uh, Anthony, you're going to innovate for me. You know, having those, those kind of task assigned so everyone is on the same page so that way as these as these events happen there's no thought that the team has to have like okay we already talked about this we know that this is how that's going to happen as you're working say a code even something like that all right in one minute you know you're going to push epinephrine you're going to change out you know now you're going to start doing compressions we're going right. to charge that monitor up before we do a pulse check so that way we can minimize the time you're off the right, chest sure. and putting those things out there and having that that stream of thought so that is a very hard thing to do it's hard to get used to doing and you may sound like you're a bumbling idiot when you do it but it's something that the team is going to appreciate and it's going to actually help that resuscitation as you go through and it. you do get better at it as time exactly, you exactly. It. Um, and then that way too when it when it is the critical resuscitation you have practiced it so i think it's good again to practice it on the less critical patients um, sometimes you feel like you're sort of trying to be the chief of the room and and it makes you feel a little bit like ego or whatever but it really does help to practice it um i think the other beautiful thing about doing that and talking about things as they're coming in as they're going on it gives other people a chance to think of things and put things in that maybe you hadn't thought of you know especially at an academic place where you know i may not be the only resident in the room and i'm gonna you know i'm say we're gonna intubate and then we're gonna do let's do a chest x-ray beforehand so that we know that there's not a pneumothorax and maybe someone else will you know have the idea of well can we just do an ultrasound really fast and look for lung sliding so we're not waiting for the x-ray tech to get in here and load their cartridge in and you know it's just little things that someone else may think of and that you didn't think of or just Mm going to be good ideas or something that you could have missed other things that 
can lead to a more successful resuscitation. And I think if you're talking about it out loud, other people have a chance to process it as well and have a chance to you know put in their ideas because we're all a team, right? So exactly. a tech can have a great idea just like you can have a great idea. And, and that's a, an important point too is that it, even, even somebody coming up with an idea maybe that you didn't think of, it doesn't matter who it is. You have to kind of check that ego at the door and go, okay, if somebody's got an idea, oh, is that valid or not? And, and maybe it's completely off base and, and you don't want to hurt somebody's ego at the same time. You don't want to, to downplay that and go, oh, you know, that, that's yeah. a great idea. Um, I, I think maybe, though, right now let, let's do this and then maybe when they get back we, we can look at doing that. Or, you know, you never want to completely dismiss some idea that somebody has because you don't want to discourage that in, in the future. Right. Um, so you want to check your own ego. So if there is a better idea, yeah. you're not, no, no, but we're, we're going to do it my way. You don't want to make feel, someone feel bad about putting an idea out there because the next time that idea may save your ass, you know? Ex- exactly. Well, and, and the part of that is too, you know, you don't want to get focused on heading in a wrong direction because that's that's your ego that that's being hurt because right. somebody has a better idea you want you want to make sure that it's still patient focused you want to keep the patient at the, the center of all yeah, of that absolutely. so that that's very important too and, and you do see that on occasion but yeah so um you brought up an interesting quote and i want you to maybe you can explain what you meant by this that amateurs talk strategy experts talk logistics what does that mean so when we look at strategy versus logistics strategy is, is kind of the what needs to happen logistics is how that is going to happen some of this comes out of the military uh this is that scott weingard actually talked about this in in the mcrit podcast also where and instead of just going okay we need to do an endotracheal tube okay we need to do a chest tube or hey we need to get this patient from point a to point b say you're at a community hospital you need to get that that patient up to a tertiary center understanding the logistics of how that's going to happen okay and what do I need to do to make sure my patient is the most stable for that transport that, that I can? What can I do here? What am I going to have to put in place for the medics? What orders am I going to have to give them? Am I going to have to give them additional paralytics? Am I going to have to give them additional sedation meds? Having those in place and understanding what it's going to take to get from point A to point B and not just, hey, I need to get that patient from point A to point B. And that's once you start thinking those processes through, that's going to make you a better resuscitationist also. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of getting from... It, it just what the quote is perfect for it because that amateur perspective is you know maybe as a junior resident even as a senior resident you're it, it can become easy to say this patient needs to be intubated but then what you know it's like what do we where what's what's the end game here and I, I think that's always as you look at um, someone who's just starting their training even up to a senior level resident is like you start thinking end game. It's not so much like what's the workup, what's the labs. It's like what's the end game here? Where's the patient going? What are we doing with them? What's going to happen next? And I think that's that's the beauty of that quote is that's kind of thinking about that next step and kind of taking taking your performance to the next level. So you use a quote from Conor McGregor. I love him. Um, that that doesn't his, surprise me. Is <laughs> that he said he's not talented. He's obsessed. Um, and you talked about deliberate practice. Um, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? Why did you use that quote? What are you What are you trying to get from? Basically, what what the quote from Conor McGregor is saying is that you know nobody has this inherent athletic ability. Yeah, certainly some people are taller. Some people genetically are, are more disposed to to having larger muscles. But 
but the true athletic ability is something that just comes from a lot of hard work and practice. So when we talk about deliberate practice, it's it's not just going through the motions and, and actually doing it. Practice doesn't really make you a master at something, but you have to actually have that, that critical critique. You need to have some coach there. You know, e- even your golf grades or, you know, I'm a huge bowler. It, and even a lot of your professional bowlers, they all have coaches. Your pro baseball players, uh, Miguel Cabrera, you know, he's one of the best hitters in, in the history of baseball. But he struggled this year. He has a coach that can sit there and go, okay, you know, yeah, maybe you need to do this. Oh, let's work on this. Hey, I saw you were doing this. Everyone needs that kind of that directed uh, feedback so that way we can improve. If we just sit there and go through the motions, I can go out to a driving range all day. Am I going to make it to the PGA Tour in five years if I'm hitting the driving range every day? Not unless I've got a coach who's actually there giving me feedback. And so it's it's not just going through the motions. It, it's actually making a deliberate effort to improve. Yeah, and having some perspective and getting some feedback I think is critical. One of our other attendings, Dr. Heisel, had, had an awesome quote, and he was saying that it's not just practice that makes you perfect, it's perfect practice that makes you perfect. Is doing it the right way over and over again, because if you do it the wrong way, you're just going to do it the wrong way you know, how you practiced it, right? Exactly. So having a little bit of feedback, talking with your, you know, especially as a resident, talking with your attendings, talking with your seniors, what could I have done better? What would have been better? Um, I think discussion is, is huge, especially as a resident. Be open to taking some feedback. You know, I, I think a lot of times we can be sort of sensitive about getting feedback and like, you know, you feel like, oh, I did something wrong or it makes you feel bad and like try to take it in an open mind that mm-hmm. someone is trying to tell you that there's something that you can approve upon. So think about it, mull it over and you can accept it or choose to not accept it. And you know, that's up to you. But I think having an open mind certainly helps. Oh, um, absolutely. We all need to have that somebody who's able to give us some constructive criticism and we all need to be able to accept it because we all have areas we can improve upon. And certainly coming back as, as a new attending, there's, there's things that I'm getting used to. Have, going from working at a small community hospital or single dot coverage now to helping teach residents and, and kind of having to take almost a step back and, and let the residents kind of spread their wings a little bit, develop how they're going to practice you know, versus, oh, no, no, you need to do it this way because this is the way I do it, you know, allowing, allowing some leeway there. And, and so that all kind of plays into that as well. Yeah, I think that goes a little bit into the art of emergency medicine, too, what you're talking about is there's a lot of ways to skin mm-hmm. a cat. So there's no, there's rarely is there one right course of action. So, you know, exactly. getting some feedback about it, discussing, I might have done it this way. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's not. Mm-hmm. But thinking about what someone else would have done in that perspective can mm-hmm. be helpful for you to think about what you're going to do next time. All right. So finally, debrief, talking about what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's actually a really important uh, component of a resuscitation. I think it's underrated, not as often performed as it should be. Um, how do you how do you like to do a debrief? What do you what do you do for your debriefing? So what what I like to do is just get you know all the team players together just for a couple of minutes after any any significant resuscitation. And it has to be somewhat of, of a deliberate effort because, as we talked about before during during the lecture, it's after that happens. There's kind of this this uh, that sympathetic surge that was there. Now you get this lull, 
and the rest of the room is filling up. So everyone's like, oh, now we're now we have to focus on the rest of this that's going on. You know, the department started to fill up. Maybe we're getting backed up. You have to kind of take a deliberate couple minutes to pull everyone inside and go, hey guys, great job. You know, this went really well. And, and that's important. You want to make sure that there's positive feedback in that. Focusing on the good aspects. Exactly. And then going, okay, this was awesome. We did we did a great job here. Maybe next time we could do this and and instead maybe maybe we can get that that chest tube in quicker maybe we can get them down to ct faster hey maybe if we called lab sooner we could we could have got that own egg down here sooner kind of looking at those processes how can we how can we streamline things how can we make things better in the future and kind of running through that that mental model and that actually works prospectively as well as retrospectively so you you run through that there's functional mri studies that show that if you think about doing a task the same areas of the brain that are active when you're actually doing the task are 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 still active just just thinking about doing the task so you're making those just doing that thought process will will help you practice with and that's something that that athletes do it's something that the military does and that's where a lot of these concepts come from so and you're also giving everyone else a chance to sort of get their perspective on it because as the you know the resident the physician the leader of this you have your own perspective of how things went how they didn't go Mm -hmm. um but a tech can have just as much perspective on improving a situation as can a nurse, as can you know, a respiratory therapist, and sort of giving everyone a chance to, to voice what they felt like mm-hmm. could have gone better, went well. Um, and I think you made a good point during the lecture is not just doing this as like a punitive, uh, this one went badly, so we're going to debrief about it. Let's debrief about the good cases too. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the things that went well. And even from that perspective, we can still improve upon it. And that way you're too, you're also getting used to doing this sort of debrief that, that everyone is sort of used to doing that so that when it does go poorly, that everyone doesn't feel like we're doing this just because it went bad. No, it, absolutely. It, you know, you never want to make something feel punitive because everyone is going to be much more closed-minded about it. So the, the more that we can do this on a routine basis, make that deliberate effort anytime that there's a, a resuscitation. There's always ways to improve. And, and as you're saying, get everyone involved. A tech may notice something, you know, you're kind of looking at that overall picture. Respiratory is focused on that airway. You know, they're, they're not looking at the belly. They're not looking at, at, at other things that, that need to take place that you need to be focused on as team leader. So somebody who's ultra focused on their task can go, oh, hey, you know, this got in the way when we were when we were trying to intubate or or as I was trying to, to suction out the endotracheal tube you know may, maybe we need to have this in place and so getting that perspective from people who are focused on their specific task is, is going to be helpful too because right as you assign those tasks you kind of like oh yeah that's getting done but you may not see the entire process that that's going on there because multiple things are happening at once and as that team leader you're kind of getting that overall picture so it's good to have that feedback from people who are 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 hands-on doing more of those tasks and, and seeing how some of that process can get streamlined and, and how you can improve upon that. Yeah. All right. So in summary, we kind of have three phases that we talked about, right? So you have the pre-phase where you have the patient that's coming in. You're letting your team know, hey, this is what we're going to set up. This is what we need. This is who we need to call. We have the sort of during the trauma resuscitation phase um, where you're being slow, deliberate to be smooth and fast. Um, and you're sort of using your cognitive skills of uh, planning what you're going to be doing, what are the steps of that. You're, you're kind of managing your stress as well. We talked about the, the breathing exercises, tactical breathing, um, triangle breathing, 
and also sort of preparing yourself for that level of stress through doing oral board cases, simulation, um, just talking about cases can help manage that stress level. Uh, we talked about managing the room, putting out tasks, assigning tasks, um, sort of delegating things, checking your ego. And then finally, we talked about uh, debriefing after the event. Do you, can you mention that the quote that you, you had for, the, for debriefing about resuscitationists? So Cliff Reed, who has some awesome lectures, if you've never heard him, go listen to his, to his lectures. He does a great job. He's had some at the Essential of Emergency Medicine and SMAC. And, and the one thing that he says is resuscitationists agonize. And, and that kind of gets back to that debriefing. We've all had cases where we you know, keep us up at night. Oh, what, what, what went wrong there? What could I have done better? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad outcome. But unfortunately, most of the time, they're, they're not ideal outcomes those are the ones that keep us up at night and we constantly look back and go all right what what could i have done different what what could i have done better and then when you see that case in the future you've you've kind of ran through that thought process and that and that's that's now ingrained in you and and you will make those improvements down the road and and that's part of the residency training process and and even as an attendee there's always cases that that we agonize on you know there's still cases that will keep me up at night that we've had there's always something to learn from every situation you know it once you once you stop doing that that's probably time to go well all right maybe i shouldn't be doing this anymore sure all right well thanks so much dr milligan for coming talk to us today giving an awesome lecture and hopefully a great podcast so thanks alex appreciate it have you back again soon absolutely